Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, it's good to hear a, good, a hearty good morning. Thank you for that. Uh, I want to begin by asking you a big question. What would you consider to be the number one issue facing the world today? I know that's a big question. In this season of creation, you could very well argue it's climate change and all the issues going on there. You, we could very well argue it's the, the racial injustices, the social injustices. You could argue it's, it's greed. You could argue it's broken families, consumerism, all the various things that are going wrong in the world. But I would argue that the number one issue in the world, the sin that's behind the other sins, is idolatry. In fact, I would contend to you that's the number one issue in the church, and I would contend that it's probably the number one issue in your life. And you say, Pastor Nate, how is this possible? Do, do we even worship idols today? I don't, I don't have a little deity in my, in my home. What are you talking about? See, the, the reality is, friends, God made us to worship. He made us as worshiping creatures. There, uh, St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until we rest in thee. So in our hearts, there is this desire to seek something, to live for something. And if that something is not God, you are inviting sin and confusion and chaos into your own life. This is a huge issue because we all worship something. The fundamental question for every one of us is, what are you living for? What are you seeking? What is, it, what is at the center of your heart that is driving everything that you do? That's why this commandment is so important. We're, if you're just joining us, we're continuing our sermon series, The Ten Commandments Today, How These Ancient Laws Lead to a Flourishing Life. And we're looking at the second commandment. So let's be reminded of what the second commandment is. Deuteronomy 5, verses 8 through 10. The Lord says, You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commands. Now, if you look at all the ten, out of all the Ten Commandments, you might wonder, how does, how does this one apply today. It seems the one that might be most far from applicable, applicability to modern life. Because uh, as we said, in the modern West, we don't really have these, these temples uh, with idols where people go to worship them, though in other parts of the world, it still definitely exists. This is still a thing in other parts of the world today. People create little deities of metal, wood, and stone to worship and pray to. But to really understand the second commandment, you have to see its connection to the first in fact, remembering that even in some traditions, uh, this phrase is still part of the first commandment in the Roman Catholic and Lutheran traditions. So it's really, it's really connected to the first commandment. Let me, let, let me remind you of what I said last week. In the first commandment, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. That means that we believe and accept that the God of the Bible, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is the true God. It means that we make Him our God by fearing, loving, and trusting Him above everything else. And because He has saved us, we give Him our exclusive allegiance with our lives. Now, idolatry is the primary way we break that commandment. We break the first commandment. 
We commit idolatry when we, when we worship or serve anything other than God. An idol is anything we fear more than God, love more than God, or trust in rather than trusting in God. It's anything we give our allegiance to other than God. It's anything that com- competes with our love and commitment to God. But let's break down this, this further. This, we're going to ha- have a little more teaching in this sermon than usual. So what, what, I'm asking the question, what is an idol exactly? And I, I want to give a few uh, definitions that, that might be helpful. Uh, first, an idol is a human construction, either physical or spiritual. Now, it begins, the commandment begins by, you shall not make for yourself an idol, right? Idols are man-made things. They are, they are made-up things. And in biblical times, and like I said in other cultures, they are still physically made with wood or precious stones, metal and silver. And the prophets, as we talked about in our last series, they would ask, well, how, how can something you made be your God? How can something made of inanimate objects speak and, and hear and have power in and of themselves? And the clear message was they don't, that they are a lie. This is a false image. Now, you may not make physical idols. I'm guessing none of you probably do. Uh, but we do construct images in our mind about God, about ourselves, about the world, and especially about what will make us ultimately happy in life. So let me ask you a few questions. What is your image of God? What is your image in your mind of what will make you happy? What is your image in your mind about what will make you feel secure and safe? What is the image in your mind that gives you identity and purpose? See, we all construct these images in our, in our, in our minds and we, and we must destroy these idols and give God his rightful place. Uh, another definition of an idol, I would say, is an idol is a false image either of God or something we treat as a God. Now, idols could be of Yahweh himself. Uh, that was prohibited. Uh, God wanted to be represented accurately and no image could represent who he was. Um, idols could also be uh, in the form of humans or other creatures that represented other gods. In fact, it says this in Romans 1. I think I have this up for you. The Apostle Paul says this is about humanity in general and our brokenness and sin. He says, although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. I think it's interesting that the first thing Paul lists is that people tended to make uh, the images of the gods in their mind into what looked like a human being. And that's really, I think, a big temptation for us. Making an idol often involves making God in our own image. We make God look like us. We exchange the true and glorious, immortal God of all creation for something that looks like one of us. And some of you, you know, you might maybe find yourself saying this, you know, I, gosh, I I would never believe in a God who would dot, dot, dot. I could never believe in a God who would command this or say this or teach that. Friend, if you won't believe in or surrender to God unless your God always agrees with you or thinks what you think, guess what? You've made God in your own image. 
You've made God yourself. Some, some of you wonder what image, what idol you've made in your mind, and you just all you have to do is just look in the mirror. I've made that, I've made this my my God. What I think, what I believe. Your God says the things you, you say. You've turned God into a mere mortal man. And we do the same with God's word, do we not? You know, I thank God for the Protestant Reformation. There's so many good things came out of that. But the Reformers, they never intended that we would just sit alone on an island and interpret the Bible for ourselves. Like we, They all, all recognize the need for the church and scholarship and good interpretation as you're learning in Faith Academy. But some of us were tempted. We turn God's word into our word. If it doesn't agree with what we think, if it doesn't agree with our already preconceived ideas and beliefs, we can choose to ignore Disobey, rebel against it, teach others the same. This is idolatry. We turn God's living word into our word. And you can surround yourself with any teacher who will tell you what you want to hear. And I think what we have to seriously recover in Christianity, if we're going to pass on this faith to our kids and our grandkids, to the next generations who are coming up, we really have to recover the idea that Christianity is a received faith. This is something that has existed for 2,000 years, even beyond that into the Old Testament. This is an ancient tradition that uh, I'm, I'm received into, I enter into humbly receiving what it teaches me, what God has revealed to me. I don't make it up. I don't decide for myself. God reveals himself to us and we submit to that. Yes, we use the reasoning he gave us, but be careful you're not turning God into yourself. Another definition, I think, about an idol is an idol is something we serve in order to get something we should be trusting God for. If you're like me, you sometimes wonder about the people, you know, the nations in the Old Testament, they're serving these, the, these idols, these, these little deities they've made, and how could they possibly be interested in doing that? Well, first of all, you need to understand, number one, ancient people had a much more nuanced understanding uh, of idols than that. Um, they, there was not a direct one-to-one connection between the idol they had made and the, the God that they envisioned worshiping. Uh, there was a, uh, a strong connection, but they also believed that the God existed outside of the idol that they had made. Uh, but secondly, you need to understand that they worshiped these gods in order to get something from that God. Baal, uh, one of the main idols that you'll read about in the Old Testament, he was the God, the God of rain, the God, the God of storms. God of weather. And when you, your very livelihood, when the, survivor, the survival of your children depended upon good crops and rain, can you, can you at least humble yourself to think, I can understand why a mom or dad might go and pray. We better pray. We're praying to Yahweh, but we better go sacrifice to Baal too because we really want the rain to be good this year. That was the thought process. There was, there was the god Asherah, the god of, goddess of fertility. There was all kinds of gods, the gods of sailors. You want a safe journey, you need to offer sacrifice to this god. It, it was, they, they served these gods in order to get something from them. Worshiping idols was a form of control to get the gods or God to do what I wanted the gods to do. Do you ever treat God like that? You ever just, want, oh God, I, I, I've, been, I've, been, I've been praying, I'm trying, I'm trying to get God to do what I want Him to do. 
you know, I think this is how, especially we can see idolatry applying today. How do, how do, how do we commit idolatry? That's the second question I'm asking. Is how do we commit this? You know, we commit idolatry when we've exchanged who is on the throne of our lives. That, that central piece in our heart that's driving everything we do and why we do what we do. What's on the throne of your heart? We must be worshiping something. We are created to be seeking something. Something is there. Uh, and so we have to figure out what is there. What is there right now? So I want to talk about some of the common idols that maybe uh, they don't go by the name Baal or Asherah in our culture, but they certainly exist. Uh, and they exert an incredible influence upon our hearts and our lives. Um, I think a key to understanding this is that people are seeking these things because just like the people of old, they're trying to get something. They're seeking some type of ultimate happiness in this thing. But the reality is these idols, they're actually deadly. They're a lie. They won't provide the things that we think they will provide for us. In fact, it's usually the opposite. They're usually deadly. So uh, let's talk about a few of them. The first is is people. Uh, There is usually a social element to idolatry. Uh, You know, God was concerned uh, with the people entering the promised land, right? That they would, uh, because of the influence of the people around them, that they would adopt the, the customs and the worship of the other gods, the nations around them. Same with the king, uh, kings of Israel, all of Solomon's wives that, that led him astray into the, into the worshiping of other gods. We may imitate others and join in their immorality because we want to please them or we want to be accepted by them or uh, uh, we want to belong with them. And in a way, we're putting other people on the throne, saying, if, I, if, I, if, they would just, if they would just be pleased with me, if they would just accept me, if I could just belong with them, then I would be happy. But that belonging, that identity, that acceptance, that's something that only God can give you in the deepest part of your heart. Another God that we put on the throne is that of pleasure. All kinds of pleasure. It was very common that, especially in biblical times, sexual immorality was often connected to idolatry. Um, It's no surprise that in Romans 1, right after the people began idol worshiping, they fall into sexual immorality. It says, therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. And right after this, Paul goes on to mention all the, all the alternative sexualities that were just as present then as they are today. Sex is a gift from the Creator, but it's a terrible God. It's a terrible God. People look to it to give, to give identity, meaning, purpose, belonging, or simply pleasure, but it is an empty enslaver. And many people are not looking at some type of graven image of stone, but they're looking at a graven image that's digital, thinking that it will provide them some type of happiness. But the reality is it enslaves them. Instead of making them happy, it kills them. And over time, you begin to die on the inside. Not just sexual morality was associated with idolatry, but also often gluttony and drunkenness were associated with the worshiping of idols. In fact, I think this is part of the temptation we might see in the New Testament of, that we read in 1 Corinthians 10, that the believers, they wanted to be at those festival meals with their friends, worshiping these other gods. They were big parties. 
They had lots of, they had all kinds of meat. Remember the meat that was sacrificed to the idols? They wanted to eat that delicious meat. There was drink. It was a great, it was a grand old time. And I wonder, do we ever do the same? Do we look to food or drink to give us the comfort we should be trusting God for? Do we idolize comfort itself? Do we serve our own comfort? Do we, do we choose to sit on the couch and serve ourselves rather than serving God or serving others? You know, it was the church's wisdom that they had seven sins they called deadly. Sloth was one of them. This idea that I'm serving my own comfort rather than God. So our own pleasure is a deadly God. Another common idol is that of possessions. There was always a huge material component to idolatry. They were often made, consider, they were made of often the most precious metals in the community, gold and silver. It probably was, I think, the most ostentatious display of wealth in the neighborhood. It, it probably was the most valuable and costly item that the people would come across. And I wonder, do we, do we ever hold up that which is costly, that which is made of precious things, the goods of this world, and we say, that's going to make me happy? The, the, the material things of this world, that's going to give me security. The money in my bank account, this costly thing, this is what's providing me happiness and security. You know, I think Jesus was right on to see mammon, worldly wealth, as the primary rival idol, rival God to the one true God. The Apostle Paul, he simply called greed idolatry. These are basically one in the same thing. If, if I'm, I'm seeking something in this, if I'm greedy for more, it shows me that something is wrong inside myself. I'm putting possessions on the throne. I'm putting worldly things on the throne. What good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? The things of this world don't save, and they won't ultimately make you happy. Idols are a lie. Idols are a lie. It won't make you happy. You got to get that in your mind. It's not going to make me happy. It's not going to make me happy. Another one that we worship is power. As I said before, worshiping idols is a, was a form of control uh, in some ways. How can I get what I want no matter the cost? So we, we ask ourselves, what do I turn to for control instead of letting God be in control? Do I let God guide my life? Do I let his commands guide my life? Or it, uh, do I try to take control myself? Do I try to retain that power, find power by uh, unjust means? That's another one. Another God that we worship is performance. People serve idols to appease their image of God in their mind. Because often, people in the ancient times, they thought that the gods were, if something bad happened to them, it means probably some God is angry with me somewhere. I've done something wrong. I've angered some God. So I need to do something to appease this God. And, and some of you, you're enslaved to this God of performance. You know, if I, if I don't get all A's, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. If I don't live up to this certain standard, I'm not worthy. If I don't act, act a certain way, look, look a certain way, I'm not worthy. And because we all fall short, the Bible says, because we all fall, fall short of the glory of God and sin, uh, you, you live wracked by shame and guilt. You're trapped by a false God that's telling you, telling you that you have to live up to the standard that you can't live up to. And you think your good performance, will, will, if you can just perform well enough, that then you'll be happy, then you'll be secure. But that's a deadly idol. And I just want to say to you, through Jesus Christ, you are free from the God of performance. He has forever nailed your sins to the cross. He loves you and accepts you right where you are. And I, another idol that we often might worship is the idol of praise. It's interesting that in the Bible, 
it's not uncommon for the tools of worship to become tools of idolatry. So when we ask, when we come to worship, who are, who are we coming to, uh, to serve when we come to worship? Idolatry was people attempting, they were attempting to worship God, but the reality was they were serving themselves. And I, we, we can do this even in worship. You know, in fact, this week, I, I, if I can just be honest with you for, for a moment, um, I wasn't feeling great about this sermon. I, I was just like, you know what, I, I, couldn't think, I couldn't think of any funny story to share with you. Uh, I couldn't think of anything all that entertaining. And I began to worry, like, gosh, are people just going to be bored with this sermon? And I, and I realized, what am I doing? What, why am I preaching right now? Am I trying to please you? Am I turning this into an idol that's something about myself? To be honest with you, I struggle with that. But I think we all do. We all can make this time, even this. Did I like the music? Oh, they didn't have my song today. You know, we, we get all caught up into making this about ourselves. I remember one, someone said to Francis Chan one time that, that they, they didn't particularly like the worship service today. He said, well, that's, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. <laughs> we can even make praise. We can make church. We can make all this just about a, a way of pleasing ourselves. But did you know that even worship and praise in the Bible, it's often described as ministering to God? The word for worship is serving God. In fact, I'm coming here not to please myself, but to please Him by my praises, by my participation. It's not about me, it's about Him. Finally, last one. We can turn our personal agenda into a God. And forgive me, I, I also turn alliter- alliteration into a God too. I, I, I just get a lot of joy out of, out of doing this. Um, so forgive me for that. But an idol of today might be called whatever. Whatever you want to do, whatever you think is best. That's an idol of today's name. And if you want to find the common denominator of most of these idols, again, just look in the mirror. It's what I want. It's what I think. It's what I want to do. That's the most common idol. All these exist in our world. These idols are ev- everywhere and we're, we're prone to them all. So how do, how do we escape this? How do we escape this, this trap that Satan has set for us? Well, first, we must, we must heed God's warning of, idol- of idolatry's consequences. Uh, I'm not going to get into it much this morning, but the passage that John read, man, the warnings contained in that, right? These were written as examples that we would not fall into the same idolatry as the people of the Old Covenant did. But in the second commandment, it says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. God is jealous for us. Can you imagine a spouse who didn't care if their spouse is in the arms of another lover? That would be horrific. It's good for God to be jealous over us. It's good for God to seek us to have perfect allegiance unto Him. And He graciously warns us with threat of punishment for worshiping idols to the third and fourth generation. Now, if you understand the the structure of the family in the, in the Old Testament. In fact, most families often lived in three or four generation families. Um, so the scholar Daniel Block, he essentially says that you, uh, in this patriarchal culture, you, you fathers who sin, you, the punishment given to you is going to f- affect your entire family. 
all those in your household, all those within your sphere of influence will be affected, infected by your idolatry. What is the punishment? Well, in Romans 1, if you read the whole chapter, you might want to do that sometime this week, we see the degradation of the human life. God gives them over to their foolishness. When we don't repent, the punishment is that God does not stop us from our own foolish choices, their consequences, and how it affects our souls and mind. Uh, it says in Romans 1, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind. That's part of the consequences. When you worship a lie, you become like the lie. You get it into your system. When you're, when you're believing that something else can save you, something else can make you happy, giving you that security, that identity, you're getting further and further into a lie. In fact, the Bible even talks about, you know, we become like what we worship. And if you worship an idol, you become like an idol. What is an idol? It's not a God that can think, speak, hear. You can't move the idol. In the, in the same way, our minds get darkened as we worship things other than the Creator. And the reality is, when you do this, it will, it will affect everyone around you, including the generations to come. There's a story in 2 Kings where the, some of the uh, Israelites have come back to the land, and there's other uh, foreign nations around them, they're worshiping other gods. And so they, uh, they teach the, um, this is after the Assyrian exile, they, they teach the new generation to worship Yahweh as well, but it says they retained the other gods too. It says in 2 Kings 17.41, even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. To this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as their ancestors did. The foolishness, the darkened mind was passed on to the third and fourth generation, affected everybody around them. And the reality is, as I said last week, it's not so much that we're in danger of abandoning Jesus to worship other gods. It's usually Jesus and. It's I'm going to worship Jesus and Man, I love those worldly possessions. I, lo I, love, I love greed. Uh, it's, it's Jesus and worldly success. It's, it's Jesus and pleasure. Jesus and comfort. Jesus and power. It's all these other things that we give our heart to. And if we do those things, we can be sure that it will affect the people around us, especially our own families. Sin is never just personal. It's never just private. It, does, it affects everyone around you. It always affects others. Another way that we escape this trap is that we must trust God's promised blessing for those who flee from it. Sometimes you see people get tripped up by God's threat of punishment to the third and fourth generation. But if you compare and contrast, that's a very limited time compared to the thousandth generation of those who love me. How, how long is the thousand generations? I don't even know if you can put an exact number on it. Let's say if a generation is 30 years, that's 30,000 years. Far longer than most people think humans have ever existed. The love of God to those who love Him extends and endures forever. The promise is far greater than the warning. The fundamental decision you have to make is who are you going to serve? Who are you going to serve? Choose this day. Will it be a God of your own making? Will it be your own self and your own desires? Will it be the pleasures and possessions of this world? Or will it be the true God, our Lord Jesus Christ, Him alone? As the Apostle John wrote, Dear children, 
Keep yourselves from idols. And finally this morning, in order to escape this trap, we must keep God on the throne of our hearts. How do we do this? Well, by repentance, by examination, by prayer, by seeking Him first. Uh, But a practical thing I want you to consider is how the Lord's Prayer is a powerful antidote to idolatry. Why? why? Well, first you're saying, our Father, I have an identity identity as a beloved child of God. He's my Father. I'm part of a community. Our Father. I belong to this ancient tradition. I belong to the way. I have an identity. I belong in heaven. He has all power over all things. I don't need to control because He's in control. Hallowed be Thy name. I worship You alone. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I'm putting God on the throne of my heart. I'm not in charge today. He's in charge of my life. Oh, Lord, give us today our daily bread. Give me that so I don't seek everything else from the, the idols of this world. I'm trusting you to give me what I need in the timing that I need it. When the temptation or trial, as John said, comes, I'm trusting him to provide a way out. Forgive us our sins as, I, as we forgive those who sin against us. I'm freeing myself and I'm freeing others from the God of performance. I know I'm forgiven. I forgive others. I'm not bowing down to that God. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Oh Lord, grant me the power to topple all the idols that I'm tempted to worship but you. Deliver me out of their snares, out of their lies, so that I can worship you alone. Hasn't our Lord provided us the best antidote to idolatry? That's why we prayed every week. He alone is our God. 